Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Good morning. So nice to be with you. Very excited about today. Congratulations, Chris Michelle, on your 25th anniversary. This, it's amazing the, the work that you have done, the calling that you've been so faithful to. And think of the tens of thousands of people who have had their lives changed because of you and Faith Promise Church. Uh, my name is John, and I'm your friend. On the count of three, give me your name. <laughs> One, two, three. Nice to meet you. Great to meet you. And, and all of you that are on the different campuses at Faith Promise, delighted to, uh, to be with you today. We're here celebrating their 25th anniversary. And uh, yesterday, Chris and myself and his two wonderful boys, we went out and played golf. And we had a terrific time. And Chris, I don't, I don't know if you know this, but he's a good golfer. And, and he almost yesterday, almost hit a hole in one. I kid you not. It, in fact, it would have been a hole in one if that windmill. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, we weren't at putt-putt. There was no windmill. In fact, I have a picture of the evidence. This is literally where his shot went on a par three. Of course, he obviously got a bird. Look at, look, and look, at the, look how he posed for it. I, I, you know, I, I just wanted to take a picture of the ball. He said, oh, no, no, no. I, you know, and he got in there and just look at him. He, just, I mean, doesn't he look like he owns that hole? It's, it's like, this is mine. I, I own that hole. And so, I mean, I thought he was, what, a foot from a hole in one yesterday. And, and I thought, he said, you, to be that close to the hole, you have to be a, an amazing golfer. And then a few holes later, I made a shot. I, and it, this is how close I came to my hole in one. Yeah, yeah. I, I was I was literally about an inch and a half, two inches away, and and and, and uh, it, which if he that just shows you that Chris is a very very good golfer, and I'm a great golfer. <laughs> Not really. We just had we just had so much fun and, and enjoyed ourselves, and and I'm so I'm so delighted to be with you, and thank you for having me, and uh, again letting me share with you. And, and I would like to talk to you on the subject today, you know, live well so you can finish well. Jesus said that, um, that we were to be salt and light. I always love it when Christians say, well, I, I, wonder, I wonder what God would want me to be. Well, what he wants you to be, what he wants all of us to be, is to be salt and light in our culture and, and where we live. Salt makes things better, light makes things brighter. And in fact, on the back of my iPhone, I literally have a salt shaker and a light bulb. With the words underneath of them, be these. Because that's, that's, this is who I'm supposed to be. This is every one of you. We're, 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 we're to be salt and light. And the reason I want to talk to you about living well so you f can finish well is, is we've gone through, in the last 18 months, we've gone through a lot of, a lot of adversity. Very difficult time. And, and I, I sense that we haven't always lived up to our Christian uh, privileges. And that we perhaps haven't always lived as well as we could have. And, and, and it's, it's understanding because this, this has been a very difficult time. Um, when adversity comes, uh, it moves us. No one is the same. After COVID, a month after COVID, there wasn't anybody in America that was in the same position. We, 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 we were all moved. 
And, and the question wasn't were we moved. The question is, did we move to become a better person or did we, did we move the wrong way? And, and, uh, and I'm afraid that there were a lot of us that were drifting. And, and no, one has, no one has ever drifted to a desired location. You just don't drift there. If you're going to get to a desired location, you have to swim upstream. You have to be intentional. You have to go uh, against the odds, and, and, and you really have to desire to, to move in, in a right way. And, uh, it, and what happened is, it, this, uh, this adjustments that we were making, it, it took us all out of our comfort zone. It took us out of automatic. And we love automatic. You see, before COVID, I mean, we just, we had life down, didn't we? I mean, it was, there were just certain things. And automatic is all about comfort. It automatic is all about predictable. Um, and, and, and there's just something about automatic that we like to live in. And COVID knocked us all out of automatic. And when it knocks us out of automatic, when we have this kind of adversity, what happens in our lives is it changes us if we're not careful. And, and these adjustments that we have to make, it, sometimes it makes us better, some, sometimes it, it, it doesn't make, them, make us better. I was having a, a golf round with Ed Bastian, who's the CEO of Delta, and we were talking about, about this adversity, and Ed said to me a, a wonderful statement that day. He said, you know, John, when crisis comes, it's too late to get your values. He said, you better have your values before adversity comes. You better, you better have your core, your inner strength on the front end because if, if not, you're going to be in trouble. And what I've discovered about adversity is that when adversity comes on the outside, it requires an inner strength on the inside. And if we don't have that inner strength, we then drift to a, to a location we really don't want to go. When I was a kid in Sunday school, there's a song we used to sing about the wise man and the foolish man. And the wise man, he built his house upon the rock, and the foolish man, he built his house upon the sand. Now, I'm ancient, so we sang that song a long time ago. Would there be anybody here that would know that song beside me? Raise your hand. Oh, it's so good to see mature people. It's, it's, it's so good to, to, you know, people that have experience and exposure to the greater things of life. I, Michelle raised her hand. She, she did. Chris has no clue. He's just, he's just sucking water right now. He's, he, he, has, he has no clue at all. But, uh, but, but, but it, it, I, I'm going to sing the song. I want you to sing. If you know the song... Sing it with me, okay? And if you don't know the song, we're going to do motions with the song. Because in Sunday school, you didn't sing without motions. If, if, in fact, if you didn't have motions, it wasn't Sunday school, you follow me? That was back in the old days when we couldn't dance. <laughs> so we did motions. We did choreography. Back then, we did choreography, okay? So, so even if you don't know the song, you can at least do the motions with us and, and act like you are as expansive and mature as the rest of us, okay? Huh? Okay, so here, here's, here, so get ready. And those that know the song, obviously I want you to, you know, sing it with me, okay? The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And the rains came tumbling down. 
The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. And the house on the rock stood firm. Oh, now, this is so good. <laughs> this is really, and you're, and you're much better than the first two services. Oh, my goodness, you're so much better. If I didn't know you were going to be that good, I'd have canceled the other two and come straight to you. I mean, you're just, a, and I, I hope on the, all the satellite, I hope all our other locations are, you do the motions with me, too. And, and you, now, that was really, really good. And we'll sing now, the, now we'll sing about the foolish man who built his house on the sand, and, and, and when you know, everything happens, his house goes flat. You know, one stands up and one goes flat. So we'll, we'll do this again. And by now, you even kind of know the words, but all of you know the motions. And if somebody beside you is not doing the motions, just point to them, would you? You know, just... <laughs> Just point, let's, let's use ridicule, shame, and a few other things now to, to, to get them in the game, okay? Are, are you with me, huh? You got it, okay, you ready? Okay. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. And the rains came tumbling down. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. And saw in the sand went flat. Oh, come on, give yourself a hand. This is huge. Well, this is amazing. I think I, I, I may have to quit speaking and just be a worship leader. I, I just fake, I, you know, at, at 74, I found my true calling. It's, it's I was a little late, but, but you inspired me. When, you know, and when people, when I say I want to be worship leaders, where'd you get that? Well, if you've ever been to Faith Promise, they, they make worship leaders out of you. Okay, that, 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 was so, that was so good. Now, Jesus taught and gave a story about this little song we just sang. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus is doing some wonderful teaching. And in that chapter, he says, I want you to love your enemies. I want you to practice the golden rule. I, I, I don't want you to be judgmental of other people. I want you to give very generously. And then he said what I want to really focus on. He said, I want you to know that what's on the inside determines what becomes on the outside. And he gave an illustration of a tree and fruit. He said, by, by what you see on the outside of the tree, you know what's on the inside of that tree. And then he gave the story. It's on, your, it's on your screen. He gave the story of the wise and foolish builders. He asked the question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. And when the flood came, the torrent struck that house, but it could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without foundation. And the moment that the torrent struck the house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. He said basically... These two men built a house. One was wise, one was foolish. And he said, I want you to know that both of them came to me, both of them heard my words, but only one of them 
did what I said. And that was the wise man. And because he acted on what I taught, he built a foundation in his house that allowed him to be solid during very, very difficult times. You see, too many people were more con concerned about what, what we look on the outside than how we are on the inside. And, and the foundation isn't noticed. I mean, nobody ever says, oh my gosh, I, I'm going to buy that house. You ought to see that foundation. Oh my, I just, as soon as I saw that foundation, I said, I, I gotta have it, I gotta have it, I gotta have it. No, 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 no. No, the, the foundation is, is, is kind of, it's overlooked, but it's absolutely central. And, 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 and so many of us, we're just, we say, how do I look versus, versus how do I live? You know, we, we, live in a, we live in a culture where branding is more important than building. That, that doing it's not as important as saying. Come on. I was speaking at a large conference doing leadership. I was signing books during one of the breaks, and a kid came up to me, and he said, I've decided I want to do what you do. I said, well, that's good. I like that. I said, let me ask you a question. I said, would you like to do what I did so you can do what I do? You see, he saw the do but he didn't understand the did. And you got to do the did before you do the do. And if you don't do the did, you don't get to do the do. There's no do without did. And there's a whole bunch of people, they want to they do, but they don't want to did. And if you don't did, you're just going to be in deep do-do. So over the last few months, I've been, to be honest with you, I've been a little leadership sad because I, I feel that, I feel that we kind of lost our way. Um, I think too many of us followed the crowd and became like the crowd instead of being delightfully different and showing people there was a better way to live. I think many of us moaned instead of led. I think we grieved over a lost election more than our loss of values. We became part of the problem instead of part of the solution. We cursed the darkness instead of turning on the light. And Jesus said, I want you to turn on the light. I want you to live a better way and show a better way. So the whole teaching today is, is evolving around the question, how do I turn on the light? How do I learn from maybe the last 18 months? And, and I begin to become a positive difference in the lives of other people and really do let my light shine and, and become salt and light to other people. How do I turn on the light? And I'm going to give you three things that if you'll do them, it'll make you a positive testimony and, and a witness to the people around you. And what's beautiful about the three things I'm going to give you is that every one of you in the auditorium, every one of you in, in all, of the, uh, all the different locations of Faith Promise, every one of you can do this, okay? This is not complicated. You could, in fact, look at your neighbor and say to them, even you can do this. In fact, look at them and say, why do you think I brought you here today? Okay, you got it. Let's go. Here we go. 
The first thing we want to do if we're going to turn on the light for others, be that positive difference, number one is get over yourself. Just get over yourself. This isn't about you at all. When I teach about leadership, I tell leaders if they really want to be great leaders, they have to get over themselves. Because leading is about serving others. It's not about you. It's not about being served. It's about serving others. I tell people, if you want to be a great communicator, you got to get over yourself. you got to quit asking yourself the question, do the people like me? And start asking the question, do I like the people? You've got to get over yourself. And by the way, this isn't where the, I didn't start this get over yourself message. Jesus did. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, it's very simple. If you, if you want to be first... You have to be last. If you want to rule, you got to serve. And then he did the ultimate get over yourself message when he said, if you want to live, you got to die. Now that's really getting over yourself. Several years ago, when I was a pastor, I was preparing a series of, of sermons on the Apostle Paul. And I was doing a series called Success Principles in the Life of Paul. And, and for a few months, I just kept writing, reading his letters and saying, what made Paul so outstanding? He was, when, when Christ, you know, died, resurrected, and, and ascended to heaven, Paul became the catalyst for the church. He was the central figure. What was it that made Paul so effective in planting churches and in evangelism, in his leadership? Why was he so good? And I came to the conclusion, I came to the conclusion that what made Paul so successful is he didn't have to survive. In other words, he had gotten over himself. There's a passage in Acts 20, it's going to come on your screen, but when he's saying goodbye to the elders at Ephesus, and he, he's been with them for three years, and now he knows he's never going to see them again, so it's, it's kind of an emotional goodbye. But I want you to pick up on these words because I don't want you to miss the secret, uh, not only in Paul's life for success, but in your life. Here's what he said. But there is another urgency before me now, and I feel compelled to go to Jerusalem. I'm completely in the dark about what will happen when I get there. I do know it won't be any picnic, for the Holy Spirit has let me know repeatedly and clearly that there are hard times and imprisonment ahead. Paul's saying goodbye. What I'm about to face isn't going to be very pleasant. But now here's the key in this next phrase. But that matters little. What mattered little to Paul? Imprisonment. Persecution. Adversity. Paul said, I know this is before me, but that matters. Now, how can it matter so little to Paul? He goes on. What matters most to me is to finish what God started. The job the Master Jesus gave me of letting everyone I meet know about all about this incredibly extravagant, generous God. Now, what Paul is saying is very simple. I don't have to survive. I, I know that dark days are ahead. I know that I'm going to be in prison. I'm now going to have all kind of persecution. He's going to literally die a martyr's death. That's what's going to happen. But he said, I, that matters little to me as long as I can make sure that the message of Jesus Christ 
is shared with others. In other words, he said, I've got to be light, and the only way I can be light is to get over myself. And, and what are you going to do with Paul since he didn't have to survive? If you, if you threaten Paul, he'd just look at you and say, well, I, I've been threatened many times. Well, Paul, shut up. If, 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 you don't, if you don't stop, we're going to throw you in prison. Oh, that would be nice. Could, could, I go back to, could I go back to Philippi? I was just witnessing to the guards there, and they let me out the last time. I'd like to go back and finish sharing my faith. Oh, that prison would be wonderful. Well, well we're going to throw stones at you. We're going we're to stone you. Oh, my gosh, yes, I, that's happened before. Oh, Paul, we're going to kill you. Would you please? Oh, my gosh. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Oh, my day. What are you going to do with Paul? Absolutely nothing. Why? He doesn't have to survive. He's gotten over himself. We've gone through 18 months where too many Christians were worried about survival. It was all about us. What's going to happen to me? We got our eyes off of God. And our world began to get much, much smaller as we got them onto ourselves. Number one, get over yourself. The second way to turn on the light is move to the center of the wheel. I'm going to have to define that. When I say move to the center of the wheel, I want to talk to you now about emotional capacity. And emotional capacity is the ability to handle a um, Adversity, failure, uh, criticism, uh, uh, pressure, but, but to handle all these things in a very positive way. And when COVID came and all these difficult things happened, th there was a tendency for us to become emotionally swept up just like people who have no faith. Now, I get the idea of move to the center of the will from Tom Morris, who wrote a, a, a great book that I love called Plato's Lemonade Stand. And here's what he said about emotional stability. Imagine life as a big wagon wheel. If we emotionally live out on the outer rim, then as the wheel turns, we're spun around at extreme highs and lows and rapid and dizzying succession. He said, but if we move to the center of the wheel, closer to the midpoint of the hub. We become more centered. And the wheel will spin, but we won't be so dramatically thrown about by its motion. So how do we, how do we during adversity, how do we move to the center of the wheel to show a stability that the world knows nothing of? By asking ourselves three questions. I've done these three, and trust me, this works. The first question I ask myself is, what is my definition of success? Now, it's important for you to have your own personal definition of success. If I stopped right now and I, I, I just walked out to you and I said, talk to me about success and what do you think success is? Can I tell you in a room with hundreds and hundreds of people, I'd have dozens of different definitions of success, right? Because it, it means different things to different people. That's okay. And so when I was in my 30s, 
And I was succeeding pretty well in building a church. In fact, by the time I was 29, I had the 10th largest church in America. And then my book started selling. The people were beginning to ask me to come and speak. And I started speaking across America and then internationally. And, and, and the world was becoming pretty good to me. And, and I was kind of on this success train. But then I would look at other people that were successful. And I, I didn't like what happened to them. I, I saw some go, they had train wrecks. They just emotionally, spiritually, in all ways, their marriages, they just all of a sudden, their world was falling apart. I thought, I, I don't know what they're doing, but that's not success. So I came to the conclusion that success for me is that those who are closest to me love and respect me the most. In other words, if my family that know me the best, if they love and respect me the most, that's success. That I don't need my validation from a bunch of people who don't know me. Speaking of social media. That the people who know me best, they love and respect me the very most. And so I said, to me, that will be my definition. I, what am I doing? I'm moving to the center of the world. The, I, I, I'm making a deep, deep just a, my core is getting stronger because I, I'm just saying that's how I'm going to define success for my life. I define success on the inside, not on the outside. The second question I ask to move to the center of the wheel is, am I getting bigger on the inside than I am on the outside? In other words, am I developing an inside values, spiritual core that makes me bigger on the inside than the outside? You see, if you're bigger on the inside than you are on the outside, it's only a matter of time until you become bigger on the outside. But if you're bigger on the outside than you are on the inside, if you're better on the outside than you're on the inside, wow, it's a matter of time before you begin to go crashing down. For example, we, we all have within our lives the emotions that are positive and a negative. I've got faith in my life and I've got fear in my life. And during COVID, it seemed like fear began to, in many Christians' life, become much more dominant than, than faith. And let me just say this. You never get rid of negative and positive emotions, but the, the stronger emotion will always override the weaker one. So if my fear is greater than my faith, I will become a person of fear, just as if my faith is greater than my fear, I'll become a person of faith. And so I've got to understand these emotions and I've got to feed my faith and I need to starve my fear. And what's happened over the last 18 months, instead of people starving their fears, they fed them. And those fears began to get bigger until they were dominated by fear instead of dominated by faith. To give us perspective, I'm going to read you an article by C.S. Lewis entitled Living in an Atomic Age. This was, this was written in 1948. But 73 years later, it's a message we need to hear today. And when I read it to you, it's going to be on the screen so you can follow me. Just substitute atomic age for the coronavirus. Okay, let's go. You talk about gaining perspective. In one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I am tempted to reply, why? as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in the Viking Age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night, 
or indeed, as you already are living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways, and it is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of a painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made. The first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts. Not huddled like frightened sheep, and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, but they need not dominate our minds. I've been to Dubai, Dubai many times. The Sheikh of Dubai, Rashid, was asked about the future of his country. And he replied, my grandfather rode a camel, my father rode a camel, I ride a Mercedes. My son rides a Land Rover, my grandson is going to ride a Land Rover, but my great-grandson is going to have to ride a camel again. Why is that, he was asked, and his reply was, hard times create strong men. Strong men create easy times. Easy times create weak men. Weak men create difficult times. Many will not understand it, but you have to raise warriors, not parasites. And add to that historical reality that all great empires, Persians, Trojans, Egyptians, Greeks, Romans, later years the British, all rose and perished within 240 years. They were not conquered by external enemies. They rotted from within. If you and I are going to be salt and light in this culture. Please understand, we not only need to get over ourselves, but we need to move to the center of the will emotionally by defining what success is to ourselves and becoming intentionally bigger on the inside. And the third question we have to ask ourselves to move to the center of the will is, who is my source? Who do I go to during adverse times? Who do I go to during the times of great darkness? During COVID, I spent a lot of time walking and praying. Every day, I can trust, trust me, every day, I would open my iPhone and I would read Psalm 112. Every day, I would read these words aloud to myself, praise the Lord, for all who trust in God are blessed beyond expression. 
When darkness overtakes him, light comes bursting in. Such a man will not be overthrown by evil. Why? Now, don't miss this. Because God's, God's consistent care of him will make a deep impression on all who see it. Notice this. God's consistent care of him will make a deep impression on all. During COVID, did God's consistent care of you make a deep impression on your friends and your neighbors and your family until they would look at you and say, you're different. Most people are fearful. you got faith. Most people are kind of throwing their hands up in the air. You're throwing your hands up and praising God. I mean, did, 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 did people see you during COVID and envy your faith? Did they, did they see light? Did, did, did they sense salt? Did, did they see there was a positive difference? Now, let's go on. Let me go on. Because of God's care, this person does not fear bad news or live in dread of what may happen. Why do we not live in dread of what may happen? For he has settled in his mind that God will take care of him. My precious friends, you need to settle in your mind. If you are God's child, then act like God's child. Settle it. Settle it in your heart. Settle it in your mind. I'm a child of the king. I have a source that gives me strength. I have a source that gives me peace. I have a source that gives me faith. People would ask me all the time. They talk about their fears. And I'd look at them and I'd say, I'm, I'm sorry you're so fearful. I'm, I'm so sorry because you're a wonderful friend. I hate to see you living in this fear. I wish you had my faith. What do you mean, your faith? Well, I, I wish you had my faith because I'm not living in fear. Because I have a source. I have a God that takes care of me. Oh, you, you lack peace. Oh, I wish you had my peace. Oh, you lack strength. Oh, I wish you had my strength. Oh, I wish you had my joy. I, listen, can I tell you something? The time to make people hungry for God is during adversity. We, we don't want to miss the opportunity. Of, that's the time that lets, hey, when do you want to let your light shine? During darkness. He's the source. There is no other God. And why do we crawl in a hole, sit in a corner, fearful, biting our fingernails, throwing up our hands? Why, why, why do we have to be like the world when we are not in this world. This is not my world. I'm just traveling through. And I loved it. C.S. Lewis, he just said, excuse me, I know the atomic bomb can kill you, but you were already sentenced to death when you were born. In other words, he said, would you get a life? Could you not get over this? Could you not move to the center of the wheel and become emotionally strong when everyone else is emotionally falling apart? And then the third thing, by the way, you're a great, you're great to preach to my gosh they they got me on a clock i got so many good things to tell you they're going to make me shut up in four minutes and 29 seconds <laughs> the third thing the third thing to become a person of light is begin with the end in mind 
And when you begin with the end of mind, that comes out of the seven habits of highly successful people by Stephen Covey, where he literally says, before you can have a meaningful life, you've got to see what your life looks like. And, and let me just say to you, when I talk about beginning with the end in mind, please understand that we may be going through difficult times. But if you're a person of faith, if you're a Christ follower, in the end, we come out victorious. I love the story. I, I love the I love the story of, of, of the of, of the little boy and he loved westerns, you know, loved books on cowboys and and so his dad looked in one evening, he was in bed, and he's reading one of them, and he's really worried because his hero is caught, and, and it looks like his hero is going to be done in pretty soon, and he's, he's just, oh, dad, he said, it's not looking good, and, and, he, and so his dad said, oh, he said, oh, I'll come back later. He came back later, and his son was just smiling, and he said, what happened, son? He said, well, he said, it was so bad, I went to the back of the book, and when I got to the back of it, my hero was, was okay. Can I tell you something? We already know how the story's going to end. We already, so why don't, why don't we right now begin to live a life like the, we know the story's going to end? Do you see, for people without God, they have this life. But people of faith, we have another life. And that other life is going to be what we need. And so when, when 20 years ago, 20 years ago, I determined that I wanted to finish well, and I wanted to see what the end looked like, and so I, I spelled out what, what I wanted to be. I wanted to make the right decision today so I could have the right destiny tomorrow. And so I wrote, finish well, and I wrote these words, be bigger on the inside than the outside. Character matters. Follow the golden rule, because people matter. Value humility above all virtues because perspective matters. Travel the high road of life. Attitude matters. Teach only what I believe. Passion matters. Daily develop my potential. Growth matters. Finish well. Faithfulness matters. And play the infinite game because legacy matters. You and I get to pick our ending by our decisions today. Amen. We have all heard the statement, all is well that ends well. And I would say to you, this teaching is all about all is well that begins well. I'd like you to bow your heads with me just for a moment because there would be those today on all of our campuses that you've never had a personal relationship with God. You, you perhaps believe in God, you, you know God, but you don't have a personal relationship with Him. And if that is where you are in your life right now, I would like to encourage you today to make a decision to begin your relationship personal relationship with God. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I wonder how many of you would raise your hand and say, John, I know there's a God. I, I, I know somewhat about God, but I don't have him living in me, and I don't have that personal relationship, and, and I, wanted, I want to be strong in this life. 
Will you just slip up your hand all over the auditorium and just say, I'm going to raise my hand where I'm seated. And by raising my hand, I'm just asking you to pray for me. And you'd raise your hand all, all across the auditorium right now. Just, that's it. Now, there are many I'm seeing raising their hands. There are, are, are two dozen people at least. Just raise, your, just raise your hand up high. Just raise them up high. I, 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 would, I, would, I would like to know God in a personal way. And you just slip up your hand right now. This is beautiful. Oh, my. So many hands. So many hands. I'm going to pray for you in a moment. I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to introduce you to Christ. In fact, when we pray, when you ask Christ to come in your heart, that's exactly what he does. So would you now, let's all together say aloud this prayer. Would you all repeat this prayer after me? And you that raised your hands, as you say it out loud, this is for you to know God in a personal way. Repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner, and you are the Savior. Only you can save me. Only you can forgive me. So I come only to you. I'm sorry for my sins. I want a new life, a fresh start. I ask you to forgive me. And I ask you right now to come into my life as my Savior and as my friend. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Welcome. Welcome to the family of God. How beautiful this is for you to make that relationship sound and correct today with God. In our generosity moment, uh, you have uh, been so generous to my nonprofit organization, Equip, Equip trains leaders around the world. We live in a secular world, and our, our company, our organization, goes to non-church people, training them to be leaders, and developing a relationship with them that will give us an opportunity later to reach them for Christ. We have been very effective. We've been now bringing transformational leadership to Guatemala, to Paraguay, to Costa Rica. Just this week, just this week, I was in the Dominican Republic. I met with the president of the country because we get permission by the leaders of the country to come in and we teach values in small groups. So I met with the president of the country. I met with the mayors of the large cities. I met with the business leaders, I met with the media, the arts people, all the streams of influence. And we had an amazing reception and they say, yes, come to our country and teach values and that's exactly what we will do. In two months, I'll go into that country. I have, the, I have the largest coaching company in the world. We'll go in with about 200 of our coaches. We'll train 25,000 facilitators of small groups. And they will, within three months, be leading small groups of over 100,000 people on values. And, and when I go back in the spring, I'll take all those facilitators and I'll do a training day for them. At the end of the day, I share with them I would like to share my faith. But I don't want to impose it on them, so I dismiss everybody. 15 minutes later, if they want to hear me talk about my faith, they come back. 90% of the people come back to hear me share my faith, and 50% of them that hear me receive Christ. Literally. In the Dominican Republic next March, I will go there and visit them, and there'll be probably between eleven and 12,000 people who have never been churched find God and receive Christ. 
That's where your money is going to. Our organization in the last 10 years have led almost 400,000 people to Christ. And that's where your money Now we're coming to America. We have values curriculum for kids. It started here on my book tour, Change Your World, when your superintendent of Knox County said he wanted books for your for the teachers, 4,000 of them in Knox County, and your pastor, Chris, said, we will buy those books for the teachers. We, now, every teacher in Knox County has to change your world. They're getting ready to do change your world curriculum there. I've been in the state of Georgia. I've been in the state of South Carolina, the state of South Carolina. This fall, we'll train a quarter of a million junior hires in our values curriculum. It will be in the classroom, not before classroom, not after classroom. And... And it's in the public school system. So I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. When all of these wonderful kids learn values, getting back to the roots of where we need to go in our country, you can just pat yourself on the back and say, I am part of the answer. I'm turning on the light and not cursing the darkness. God bless you. I love you. Thank you very much.